The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. We were recently blessed here at Zion Church with a visit from Elder Michael Goins. Brother Michael was preaching a meeting at Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church, which is pastored by my brother, Elder Tim McCool, and he stayed over for Sunday night and preached for us here at Zion. Today is the first half of that sermon, which was a powerful message about wrestling not with flesh and blood. Join us today as we begin this message and learn that wrestling is a very personal and difficult fight, but it's a fight that we're equipped to win with the Lord's divine help. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. When I Oh! 
from the sixth chapter of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians and I want us to look at verses 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. In what is no doubt the premier passage concerning the subject of spiritual warfare in the New Testament, the apostle tells us to don the panoply of God, to put on the whole armor of God. And perhaps you're here tonight and you say, preacher, I'm not interested in fighting. I'm a peace-loving person. But merely by virtue of your union with Jesus Christ, you and I are involved in a warfare, whether we like to fight or not. We're engaged in, a, in spiritual combat. And I want you to notice how he describes this conflict in which we're engaged. He defines it in terms of a wrestling match. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. We wrestle. Let's think for a few moments, if you will, this evening on the theme of spiritual wrestling. Now, I'm a sports-minded kind of person. I've always enjoyed sports and participated in sports. And in my mind, I'm still quite an athlete. <laughs> there was a time when I played football. I was starting free safety on my high school uh, football team and uh, ran track. I was a sprinter and enjoyed that very much. I've also played some uh, competitive baseball, not at uh, a level of, of, uh, of accomplishment to any degree, but yet I've enjoyed playing sports. I like basketball. I was a little 
too challenged, vertically challenged to be a basketball star. I used to dream I would be a professional baseball player. I thought I was the next Johnny Bench and I would uh, be behind the plate and catch for the Cincinnati Reds one day, but that didn't materialize because I didn't have much of a bat. I uh, thought that I would uh, play basketball, but again, I was a little too short and uh, thought that I would play football, but I was about 130 pounds soaking wet when I was in high school. I was fairly fleet of foot and had some prospect of a future in track and field, but that didn't work out either. But I've never been much of a wrestler. Now my dad loved to wrestle. In fact, he was an accomplished wrestler. Some of you may know if you follow us on social media that uh, my dad passed away at the age of 88 on the 31st of J January of this year. We were blessed to uh, spend the last uh, two and a half weeks of his life with him in the panhandle of West Texas. My two brothers came as well as my family and we were uh, able to spend time with him, and it was just a blessed time. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to be with my dad. I, in my estimation, he's one of the greatest men that have ever lived. And I have uh, ultimate great respect for my dad. He was a primitive Baptist preacher for 53 years, faithful to the doctrines of grace, to the simple practice of the Primitive Baptist Church, and, um, and I just thought Dad was a great man, and I hope I can be like him when I grow up. But Dad had deteriorated to the point that he was basically bedridden in his last few weeks, and one of the methods that our ministry took to him was to help him get out of bed from time to time to help mom who was not capable of lifting him. And one of the things that I will remember for many years about his last days is I would bend over his bed, sort of try to position myself in a posture where I wouldn't hurt my own back by bending my knees. And I'd say, Dad, put your arms around my neck and I'll lift you up. And I would support his back, which was weak. And we would lift him from the bed to his feet, and he'd get his bearings about him. He'd stand there for a minute, and then I would say, Now, Dad, put your arm around my neck, and I'll walk you to your wheelchair. Well, the first time I did that, Dad put his arm around my neck. And Dad, you have to remember, was quite the wrestler back in his day. And as he put his right arm around my neck, he clamped down into a half Nelson. <laughs> And he had my neck in this awkward, precarious position, clutched in his half Nelson, and I said, Dad, Dad, I am, you've got me in a half Nelson. And he sort of chuckled, and he eased his grip off me, and I was able to stand up, and I said, man, you're pretty strong. And he laughed, and... I said, I couldn't get out of it, and Dad said, I could teach you how to get out of that half Nelson. He knew the trick, and he could teach me. But wrestling has never been one of my fortes. I wasn't very good at it. Now, I did wrestle with my kids as they were growing up in the living room floor, and, uh, 
And um, I enjoy it, but it is strenuous. It's personal, isn't it? Wrestling is not something you can do from a distance. It's not like playing tennis in which you stand on opposite sides of the court. It's certainly not like bowling. It's not like golf. It's up close and personal contact. And notice this passage tells us that we are engaged in a spiritual warfare which is up close and personal. It is, my friend, something in which you have to be individually and personally involved. You can't do it from your armchair in your living room. You can't do it from a distance. Every day in your life and in mine, you and I are involved in the great fight of faith. And it is a good fight, isn't it? That's what Paul calls it. There is such a thing as a just war. All war is not sinful and wrong. There is a holy war. There is a war that is worth fighting. It's the good fight of faith. And my beloved, whether we realize it or not, we have an enemy. In fact, we have a triple enemy. The world, the flesh, and the devil, the triple threat. And it's the fight of our lives. We'll never get over it. I think of the old Scottish preacher that was confronted by some young preachers who had received what they thought was the second blessing. They had achieved entire sanctification. You know, there is a tradition in Christian theology that says that uh, you can get the baptism of the Holy Spirit and be catapulted into a state of sinless perfection. And it is uh, a position that is popular in certain uh, Keswick circles, certain higher life teachings. And there were some young preachers who had sort of adopted this idea and they told Alexander White, the Scottish Presbyterian minister on one occasion, uh, Mr. White, we've received the second blessing, we don't sin anymore. And the old experienced preacher said, young men, it's a sore fight, a sore fight to the very finish. It is a sore fight to the finish line, my beloved. Another preacher said, I'm in such a battle with the devil, I'll, gum the, I'll bite the devil till my teeth fall out and then I'll gum him to death for the rest of my life. Now that's the kind of tenacity that is necessary, the kind of endurance, the kind of perseverance that we need, my friends, so far as our mindset is concerned, because we are, in fact, in a spiritual battle. The flesh never leaves me. It is with me when I stand in the pulpit, as well as when I drive down the interstate. And the world certainly is an ever-present foe. I can't seem to get away from it. Everywhere I turn, I am met with an anti-God kind of mindset or mentality from this fallen world in which I live. You know, the hymn writer asked the question, is this vile world a friend to grace? And I want to ask you that question this evening, dear friend. Does this world make it easy for you to live a Christian life? It doesn't, does it? It's not easy to keep the right attitude when you're bombarded with 
advertisement that promotes your an individualistic kind of approach to life that says you deserve a break today you know have it your way it's not easy to battle the world and I'll tell you not only do we have a an enemy within and an enemy with around us but we have an unseen spiritual foe who is very formidable and his name is the devil He's called Apollyon and Abaddon, two names in the book of Revelation that mean ruin and destruction. He's called the prince of the power of the air. That is, he rules in the spiritual domain. Now, I'm glad to tell you he's not sovereign. There is a ruler above him. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But still, the devil is very real. In fact, Peter says to be sober and vigilant. That means get serious. You know, there are so many people today who have a sort of laissez-faire approach to life and, you know, a complacent, laid-back, lackadaisical kind of attitude that says that life is a, is a ride, enjoy the ride. You know, it's a party. My beloved Christian people need to be serious. Now. That doesn't necessarily mean that we need to be somber. You can be serious without being somber or morose. It's important though to be sound-minded and realize that there's an enemy out there. And he's an unseen, invisible, formidable spiritual foe who would love nothing more than to make a wreck of your life and mine. If he could get you involved in some kind of activity that was sinful and get you to, to the point that you were addicted to it so that it was habitual, then he would be all too happy to see you and me fall as a casualty on the battlefield of life. Now, there were people who probably once sat on these pews who are not here anymore because Demas-like, they have caught fool's gold in their eye and they ran after it thinking that will make me happy. Perhaps they wanted to be rich or they wanted to be famous or perhaps they just grew spiritually cold. It could happen to you and me. And the devil will capitalize on my old nature and he will use the world against me to try to trip me up and you up. And I don't, it doesn't matter, my friends, whether you've been in the church for 50, 60, or 70 years, whether you have a good reputation or what, none of us is immune to the devil's assault. In fact, I suspect it was news to Peter when Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. Yes, indeed, my friends, the devil was after Peter. Now, Peter didn't know that. I mean, he didn't say, I mean, I doubt that was uppermost in his mind, but Jesus knew it. How did Jesus know the devil was after Peter? Because the Lord Jesus is the sovereign of the universe. He's God, a very God, and he knows everything, and he knew that the devil wanted Peter. Now, perhaps you're here tonight, and you say, Preacher, just a minute, you're scaring my children. <laughs> Because uh, you're saying the devil is after you. I'm telling you, dear friends, he's after every one of the people of God. Because he couldn't defeat Jesus Christ, he tried to do that. He's the great dragon in Revelation chapter 12 who tried to snuff out the life of the 
woman's child, the woman's seed, as soon as it was born. You remember Herod's infernal plot to have the babe Jesus killed? And of course, he ended up drowning or he ended up, uh, he ended up slaughtering uh, every male child two years of age. He, he, he implemented an infanticide campaign that was comparable to Pharaoh's campaign centuries earlier in Egypt. But you see, the Lord protected the babe Jesus, told his parents to take him down to Egypt until the threat had passed. And of course, that was in fulfillment of the prophecy, out of Egypt I have called my son. But uh, the, the point is that the devil was after him, the babe Jesus. But the woman's man-child was caught up to God and his throne, says Revelation chapter 12. He was victorious over the devil. And I'll tell you, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So what did the old dragon do after that? Did he say, well, I guess I might as well retire, hang up the cleats, throw in the towel. No, my friends, he turned his venom on the woman's seed. Uh, he, He turned his efforts toward exterminating the church. But even in the providence of God, the earth opened up and swallowed up the flood that came out of the dragon's mouth because God is protecting his church. And I'll tell you, every act of persecution against the Christians through the 2,000 years of our history is fueled and it is actuated by the old serpent, the enemy of God and his kingdom. And my beloved, you and I are involved in a hand-to-hand combat up close and personal attack every day. The, and he's a thief. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. If he can steal your joy, if he can kill your influence, if he can destroy your happiness and peace and your testimony, my beloved, he has scored a strategic victory against the church of Jesus Christ. Now, he won't win in the end. We have an adversary who's a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour, but we have an advocate. But my beloved, I want you to realize that you're involved in a wrestling match spiritually against the devil. Now, if you would, turn with me to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And not only are we involved in a wrestling match against the devil, Sometimes God's children wrestle with another foe. We wrestle within our own hearts and attitudes. The book of Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, depending on whether you're on the east side of the pond or the west side, is one of the obscure minor prophets. Now, these prophets are called minor, not because their message is less important than Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, and Ezekiel, but they're called minor prophets because their messages are shorter in length. In fact, Habakkuk's prophecy is only three chapters long. You know, Ezekiel has like 40-something chapters. Jeremiah's got 50. Isaiah's got 66 chapters. But... Hosea, Amos, Nahum, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Micah, Malachi, 
and Habakkuk are minor prophets because their prophecies are shorter in length. Now, prophets were not like the other two offices. You know, there were three offices in the economy of Israel, prophet, priest, and king. And the priests came from a single tribe. The tribe of what? Levi? It was the Levites who gave Israel its priests. That was the political, I mean, those were the religious leaders, the priests. They were the preachers, the pastors, the, you know, they were involved in spiritual ministry. The kings, that was the political office. And what tribe gave Israel its kings? Judah. You remember the 12 sons of Jacob? Levi, Levi gave them the priesthood. Judah gave Israel its kings. But prophets could be chosen out of any of the tribes. Prophets came from the tribe of Simeon, the tribe of Dan, the tribe of Asher, the tribe of Zebulon, of Naphtali, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh, whatever. Prophets could be chosen by God from any of the tribes, and prophets were more akin to what we would call preachers today. Prophets were called by God and commissioned to bring a message. And sometimes they were career prophets. That is, like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Daniel, their prophecy spanned many years. But some of these men appear on the scene for just a single message or a few messages at the most, you know. And uh, they come out of nowhere, you know, like Amos was a fig picker <laughs> and a shepherd. He was a farmer. God called him from picking figs off the fig tree to come deliver a message to Israel. And these prophets fall into basically three categories. You have your pre-exilic prophets. These are guys who prophesied, who brought God's message to the people before the exile, pre-exilic, before the Babylonian captivity. Then you have exilic prophets. That is, these are guys that preached God's message during the captivity, Daniel, Ezekiel. And then you have post-exilic prophets, prophets who, after they came back from Babylon, brought God's message to the people. Now, Habakkuk, like Isaiah and Jeremiah, was a pre-exilic prophet. That is, he brought God's message to the people, warning them that judgment was coming. And by the way, people did not really like these guys. <laughs> they were not popular. I mean, do you like somebody that tells you that America is headed for judgment? You say, okay, I can listen to that once or twice, but after 38 chapters, I'm getting tired of it, you know? And uh, I wish you'd say something a little more positive. You know, eliminate the negative, accentuate the positive, and don't mess with Mr. In-Between. <laughs> but Habakkuk brought a prophet. Now, Habakkuk was not real happy with the fact that judgment was coming. But here's how he brought his prophecy. Habakkuk, if you look in chapter 1, is burdened over the deplorable state of God's people. Have you ever been there? Have you ever looked at the churches and the condition of communities and society around us and thought, 
Lord, why don't you intervene? Why don't you do something? That's what Habakkuk's doing. Habakkuk is perplexed. And he's perplexed at the at divine inactivity, alleged divine inactivity, apparent. It appears that God is sitting on his hands, that he's not doing anything. And Habakkuk says in chapter 1, verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? And how long shall I cry unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save? Do you know what he's really wanting? He's wanting God to come down and revive the people. Israel is in a, a very deplorable state. And he says, Lord, I've been praying, and you don't seem to be listening. How long, O Lord? And God answers his question, and he says, okay, Habakkuk, I am doing something. But by the way, may I say, God's answer takes the prophet from the proverbial frying pan into the fire. God says, I'm going to judge my people. Now, he wants revival, but God says judgment's coming. And Habakkuk now is grappling with a new question. How can a just God use a more wicked nation to judge his own covenant people, Israel? You might be interested to know, we don't know a lot about Habakkuk. We don't know which tribe he came from, who his mom and dad were. We don't know uh, what city he lived in even. We do know one thing. We know what his name means. Do you know what Habakkuk means? The wrestler. The wrestler. Habakkuk is named the wrestler because he is in fact wrestling with some inward turmoil and trials. I want to say, my friends, I've been there. Have you? Is there anybody in the congregation tonight who's ever struggled with inward tension and trial? Have you ever fought a battle on the inside? It's what uh, John Newton said in one of his hymns, what he called these inward trials these inward trials. I love that poem. He says, I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. In other words, Lord, I want to be more spiritual. I want to be more committed, more devoted. He said, I ask the Lord for that blessing. He says, I thought that in some favored hour at once he would answer my request. You know, Zap, boom, you know, you're spiritual now. I thought that in some favored hour at once he would answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my, subdue my sins and give, bring me rest. But instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and he let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. <laughs> in, other, in other words, Lord, I want to grow. So the Lord said, well, devil get at him he said lord why is this i trembling cried wilt thou pursue this worm to death and lord i'm like a little insect a little worm and he says lord why is it like this he says tis is this way the lord replied i answer prayers for grace and faith listen these inward trials 
I employ from self and sin to set thee free, to break thy schemes of earthly joy, that thou mayest seek thy all in me. My beloved, I've fought a few battles on the inside of you. And they're not battles against the devil. They're battles against my own emotions. I've wondered, Lord, what are you doing? Why don't you do something? Why don't you revive us? Lord, please, I cry out for revival. And God says more judgment is coming. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J. C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.